Life is full of disappointments and wounds and hurts. And we know there is an enemy who steals and kills and destroys. But Jesus has given us life and hope and peace. And we know that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We don't fight against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers and darkness. We've been called to be overcomers, and we can, and we will. Well, did you enjoy having the choir in this room this, today, this, this service? I love them. And you know what? The worship time, so special. I got to do this three times this morning. I mean, it's been a great time of worship, and I'm so grateful that you're here. I want to tell you what is such a neat story. It is about a, a pastor named Sam Cathy, C-A-T-H-E-Y. Sam Cathy was a pastor in Oklahoma for many, many years. Two years ago, he passed away at the age of 79. He and I intersected a couple of times, uh, but we never really got close because our lives were just totally separated and different by location. But uh, I have the greatest respect for him. So did everyone else that knew him. He was a godly man, and, and his, uh, his life gave testimony to that. But he had a very unique thing that happened to him. He and his wife began their ministry actually in Detroit, in a church outside of Detroit. And in Detroit, they had a daughter that, uh, whose name is Nola. Well, one day, Nola got terribly ill, terribly ill, to the point they went, rushed her to the hospital. They did not know exactly what was going on, but they knew it was bad, whatever it was, and they took her to the hospital. But Sam was not there among those who took her to the hospital because Sam was actually preaching in a church in Los Angeles at the time. So that evening... His wife called him and said, Sam, here's what's happened to Nola. you got to get here fast. He took the next flight out of Los Angeles, the direct flight to Detroit. It was a late night. It was sort of in the middle of the night, midnight kind of flight. And on that flight, there were very few people that were, were on the plane. And there was nobody in first class at all. So when he saw that there was no one in first class, he asked the flight attendant who was was uh, servicing everybody, the few people that were on the plane, is it possible that I could go into first class so I can go to sleep? Because I'm not going to get any sleep tomorrow, I'm just sure. She said, no, you cannot go into first class. It's against regulations. I'm sorry, you can't. And she walked away. But within another minute or so, here comes a second flight attendant. Now, she's dressed in a totally different uniform, and she comes right up to Pastor Sam and says to him, uh, Pastor Kathy, would you join me in first class? And he thought, good grief, they've had a change of heart so quickly. And he joined her in first class and she said, are, are you hungry? And he said, well, I haven't had any food for quite a while. And she said, well, I'll get you something. She went into the galley. She, she brought out a sandwich on a plate that was 
had the, the airline's name on it. So it was an airline plate, and she brought it out, and he began to eat the, the sandwich. And all the while he's eating the sandwich, she is standing there quoting Scripture. He said it was absolutely stunning to hear her quote Scripture. Quoting Scriptures after Scriptures after Scriptures that talk about the sovereignty of God, that talk about the holiness of God, that talks about how much God loves him and loves his family, and she's quoting all these scriptures. He was totally mesmerized by this flight attendant as she's quoting all these scriptures. Now, she gets finished quoting the scriptures, and she encourages him, and then she puts her hand on his shoulder, and she says to him, Pastor Sam, Nola will be okay, and walks out of first class through the, the curtains and disappears. Well, the problem was is that he never told her anything about his family. He never told her he had a daughter, never told her that his daughter's name was Nola, never told her that his daughter was sick. He didn't tell her in, anything about his family. And so he is sitting there saying, what? While he's trying to figure this out, the first flight attendant comes through the curtains and sees him and says, what are you doing in here? I clearly told you that you could not come to first class. He said, well, I know, but the other flight attendant told me I could. She brought me in here. What other flight attendant? He described her and described the uniform she's wearing, and this flight attendant said there is no flight attendant on this plane that looks like what you're describing, and we don't even have a uniform that looks like you're describing. He said, well, then explain to me this leftover sandwich that's right here on your airline's plate. Explain that to me. She said, wait a minute. She went in the galley. She came back. She said, there's absolutely no food in the galley. So I don't know how in the world you got that sandwich, and where did you get our plate? I am totally confused now. She went and got all of the flight attendants. She lined them up and said, which flight attendant told you you could sit here? He said, the flight attendant is not in this group. She said, this is all the employees of this airline except two guys who are flying the plane. Well, Sam went out, went all the way through that plane looking for that woman, and she was not to be found. They landed in Detroit. When they landed in Detroit, there was his wife. He was very surprised she would be at the airport to pick him up. There was his wife. And she said to him, the greatest news, she said, nobody knew what Nola's problem was, but she had a terrible fever, but the fever has broken, and they're saying they can't find any trace of illness, sickness in her, and so I've come to get you, I'm taking you back to the hospital, and they're telling us that they're running tests right now on Nola, and if all the tests come back positive or negative or whichever they're supposed to come back, then we will leave the hospital tomorrow. And that's exactly what happened. Now, fast forward 20 years. Fast forward 20 years. And Nola is now 26. And she's gotten married. And she's having surgery. There's her husband. There is uh, Mr. and Mrs. Kathy. 
uh, right there, and they, they're all waiting for the news of the surgery. And in comes the surgeon, and the surgeon says to them, uh, Nola, it's fine. The surgery turned out perfect. No problems at all. It's all perfect. It's all wonderful. But we are curious about something. We were not that far away from the appendix, so we said, let's just take the appendix out while we're in. But there was no appendix. But we did find a surgical scar that indicated that the appendix had been removed. The problem is, there are no other scars in the tissue that demonstrates that a surgery happened. Are you following what I'm saying? So that the appendix is gone, there's a surgical scar for the appendix of where it was, but there is no scar of anyone being able to get into the body to take out the appendix. And for the life of us, we're not, we're not understanding what happened here. We don't know how anybody got in to take the appendix out and how they got the appendix out of her body. So would you clear this up for us? Because we've never seen anything like this before. And Sam's wife said, Nola has never had surgery ever in her life before right now. And we would fully think that her appendix is there. There is no other way for her appendix to have gotten out. And the surgeon said, all I can tell you is, I can't tell you what happened. I don't know. The appendix is not there. A surgical scar is but there's no indication of any surgery having happened other than that. Now, Sam Cathy is a godly guy, was a godly guy, still is, is in heaven, and I believe this guy, and here's what he said. He said, I know that this story is off the wall and weird, but the medical reports on my daughter are all documented. She had never had surgery, but her appendix had been removed. We think it happened when she got ill as a child because all the symptoms she had, we are now told today, are similar to a ruptured appendix. And there is no doubt in my mind that the person God sent to me on that flight to encourage me was an angel. And here's all i got to say to you. Our God still heals. Our God still heals, and our God still does miracles. It is just the truth. Now, how do I explain this story? Well, I, I, the only thing I can say is there is a God in heaven who is still on his throne, and nothing is impossible for him. That's the only thing I can tell you. Nothing is impossible for him. Now, there are thousands of stories about angels floating out there or angel stories that are floating out there that doesn't that that are out there and I'm skeptical about everyone that I hear and and I don't believe everything I read and I don't believe everything I hear and I hope you don't either but every so often there are stories that come across that ring true and this is one of those only because of the man who said it and the character and the godliness of his life. Today I want to talk to you about the subject of angels. We've been in a series entitled The Invisible War. It's a series on spiritual warfare. And in this series we've already talked about who Satan is. And 
where he came from, and how he fell. And we talked last week about what is the goal of Satan in our life, and what are the strategies that he uses in our lives. We've talked about that last week, but this morning, I want to talk to you about the subject of angels. So, if we're talking about spiritual warfare, why are we talking about angels? It is because of the next verse in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. We've been going through a little passage of Scripture in the book of Ephesians chapter 6, and suddenly it changes. Verse 12 says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. i got to remind myself of that, don't you? Because I can get so wrapped up in flesh and blood. I think our country needs to be reminded of that these days, that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against the authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms is a sentence, a phrase that is talking about the organization of the evil network that Satan uses. He's talking about the demonic, the realm of the demonic. He's talking about demons. And next Sunday, I'm going to be talking to you about the subject of demons in this series on spiritual warfare. We know that one-third of the angelic realm rebelled against God along with Satan, and the Bible now calls these fallen angels demons. They're the bad guys. But two-thirds of the angelic host stayed true to God. They're called angels in the Bible, and they're the good guys. And it seemed to me that if I'm going to talk about the bad guys, I ought to talk about the good guys too. And if I'm going to talk about the good guys, I ought to talk about them first. So that's what this message on angels is all about. Now listen to me. Do not believe a whole lot of the stuff that you read and you hear about the subject of angels. Because this topic has been hijacked by people that are involved in what is called the New Age. It was called the New Age Movement in the 1970s. That's when it emerged. And all it was was... Buddhism and Eastern mysticism encountering Western civilization, and they named it New Age. It's a regurgitation of old age, if you ask me. And it is corrupt, and it is wrong, it's, it's demonic, and there are many people, they use Christian terms, Christian names, Christian thoughts. They use those kinds of things, but they dress it up for Western civilization. It is Eastern mysticism and Buddhism. And when you see New Age junk, run for the hills. Get away from it. It is, not, it is demonic in spirit. So with that in mind, don't believe everything you hear on this topic. It's been hijacked. But There are some books and some writings about angels that are absolutely correct. And here's what I want to say to you. There is one of them that I would recommend to you. It is written by Billy Graham, and it's called Angels, God's Secret Agents. It is totally sound and biblical. We're going to be having some of these available for you next week if you want to purchase one. Uh, And I encourage you to do it because it will really help you better understand angels. And so it's available. But this morning, I want to talk to you about angels, and I'm going to ask some questions and answer them using Scripture to be the answers for these questions. And the first one is simply this, are angels presented in the Bible as real or as figurative 
beings. There's almost 300 references to angels in the Bible, as many in the New Testament as there are in the Old Testament, and not one time, not one occurrence are angels ever presented in the Bible uh, as anything but real beings. They are always presented as real beings who have specific jobs to accomplish. Not one time are they mere illusions or figures of speech ever. Jesus talked about angels, and he actually talked to angels. And when the Son of God believes in angels, then uh, count me in as well. Whatever the Son of God believes, I believe as well. It's interesting to me that in all the that in many of the ancient cultures, in the writings of ancient cultures that had no connection with the Bible, that had no intersection with Scripture, that they describe from time to time these ancient writings describe a an encounter with a creature that the description is almost identical to the description that the Bible gives of angels. Angels are real beings. The next question is, where do angels come from and what are they like? So let me answer the first one first. Where do angels come from? Psalm 148 and verse 2 says this, Praise Him, all His angels. Praise Him, all of His heavenly hosts. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for He commanded and they were created. We're not surprised, any of us, that who created angels is the same one who created everything, that God is the creator of angels. But it's the next passage that I've given to you that that has some uniqueness to what it's saying. In Job chapter 38, verse 4, where were you, Job? This is God questioning him. Where were you, Job, when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know, Job. Who stretched a measuring line across it? Oh, on what were its footings set and who laid its cornerstone? Now stop for a moment. Here's what's happening. God is actually giving questions back to Job that has obvious answers to the questions. He is saying to Job, Job, I'm God, not you. I understand this world, not you. I understand this universe, not you, because I'm God, not you. That's really what he's saying with all these questions. And he is talking about the fact that he created the world and that's assumed involved with that, all of creation, all of the universe. He, it was God. But notice what he says that is so unique He says, beginning in verse 7, as he's talking about the creation of the world and all the universe, while, as I'm creating this, while the morning stars, and the morning stars in the Old Testament is a reference to angels. When the Old Testament is talking about stars, it's obviously talking about stars. They're doing what we would expect stars to do. But when they're talking about angels, they use, it is used several times, and especially in the book of Job, morning stars, he uses that as a figurative statement for angels. He says, while the angels sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. Now, what is the point I'm making? Here is God, and He is saying, while I'm, crea- while, while I'm creating the universe, 
All the angels are singing and all the angels are shouting. What does that mean? It means that before the universe was created, the angels were already there. Does that make sense? Hello, is anybody there? Does that make sense? Okay, that makes sense. So here is what I'm saying. Before God created this universe, the angels were already there and they had to be someplace. It is only one of so many places in the Bible that gives a sense of a hint of more than one universe is the point I'm making. That God created this universe with these laws of physics that we experience, but there is another place that already was in existence before this universe. There's another place. I believe it's another universe that has a different law of physics. Where heaven is, where hell is. And I believe that at that very moment that we die, that our spirit leaves our body, that we are taken to that universe, that place. What we call heaven and what is also called hell. And that somehow God has made it so that angels are able to pass from one to the other at the will of of God. One more thing to, to side thing to, to note is this. Jesus says in Matthew 22 verses 28 to 30 that angels do not procreate and so must have all been created all at the same time. Now with that in mind, here is the second question that I ask, what are angels like? And what I've done is just simply taken the passages of scripture, what do they say, Old Testament and New Testament? and piece them together. Here's here's what I want to say. First of all, angels were all created by God to be holy, but were given a will to choose, just like we are given a will to choose. Second, from all indications, angels do not age and do not die. Listen to what Jesus said in Luke 20, verses 34 to 36. The people of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy of taking part in that age and in that resurrection from the dead will neither marry nor be given in marriage. And in heaven we will not marry, we will not be given in marriage. And they can no longer die, for they are like the angels. And there's some who read this and say, oh, it means that when we die, we go to heaven, we become angels. No, that is not what the verse means. There are some who say, well, a little child has died, so God needed another angel, so he brought this little child to heaven. That is not, I mean, it's sweet, it, it sounds sweet, but it's not true. People do not become angels. People do not become angels. All he is doing is saying, just like angels do not grow older, they do not age, and just like angels do not die, when humans get to heaven, we do not age and we do not die. And do I hear an amen about that? That's a good, good thing. This is a wonderful thing. And I believe that when we get to heaven, we're all going to be young out of just pure logic. Little babies are not going to be little babies for eternity. And people that are 90 are not going to be 90 through eternity. I don't believe that. I believe that we're, we're young and we will not age and we will not die. And there is no cancer in heaven and there are no heart problems in heaven, and there's no fat grams in heaven. 
There is ice cream, but there is no fat grams in that ice cream. I know that this is the case. So then the third thing is that angels are limited in space, which means if an angel is here, an angel cannot be there. That they're limited in space. They, they cannot be in multiple places at the same time. They are not omnipresent. Satan is not omnipresent. He is not everywhere. If he is one place, he cannot be anywhere else at the same time. And we're going to talk more about that next week when we talk about the demonic. Next, I discover that angels are more powerful physically than people, but they are not omnipotent. When you got one angel that is uh, rolling the stone away in front of the tomb of Jesus and he's just rolling it away, no guy I've ever met can pull that off. And when there is an angel that is closing the mouths of lions in Daniel's lion's den, there's no person I've ever met that can do that. They're physically stronger than human beings, but they are not omnipotent. They, only God is omnipotent. Angels are not, which means Satan is not either. So let's stop giving him those kinds of notations that he does not, should not have. He is not omnipotent. Angels are intelligent creatures who can communicate. They are aware of history, and sometimes they're even given knowledge in advance about events that have not yet happened. Take, for instance, in Luke chapter 1, verses 13 to 16, but the angel said to Zechariah, an angel talking to Zechariah, Zechariah, the Lord has heard your prayer and Elizabeth's prayer, and you are going to have a son, and you are going to name him John. He'll be John the Baptist. Well, the only way that angel knew about that it's not because this angel is omniscient because the angels are not omniscient. It's because God had given that message to that angel to give to John. Angels know what is coming in the future only because God has revealed certain things to them. Next, angels' involvement on earth is usually invisible to us. But they have the ability to appear. I absolutely love 2 Kings chapter 6. 2 Kings chapter 6 has been such a blessing to me. I have gone back to it many times in my life and my ministry. 2 Kings chapter 6, listen to what happens in verses 15 to 17. When the servant of the man of God, the man of God in the story is Elisha. Elisha. When the servant of the man of God, when Elisha's servant got up and went out early the next morning, there was an army of horses and chariots that surrounded the city. This army of horses and chariots with all these army people was sent by the king. The passage tells us, sent, sent by the king to kill Elisha. He didn't send one or two soldiers to kill Elisha. Elisha was an amazingly powerful guy that God had given a special gift to. And so he sent a whole army to kill Elisha. And when Elisha's servant saw all of this, he said, oh, my Lord. He said this to Elisha, oh, my Lord, what shall we do? And Elisha said, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And then Elisha prayed, oh, Lord, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes. And he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire 
all around Elisha. What is this servant seeing? He has seen angels. He has seen all these angels that have surrounded Elisha to protect and defend Elisha. I'm going to tell you something. This passage of Scripture has been such a blessing to me because though I cannot see necessarily the the protection of God and provision of God at the moment that he gives that to me, I know it is there. Even though I cannot see it with my own eyes, I know it is there that God has given to us far more than we can see with the naked eye. That God is there for us, that God will protect us, God will defend us. But does that mean that he will then, oh, obviously never allow a Christian to die as a martyr, that he will always rescue a person and just in the nick of time? No, it doesn't mean that. Paul died as a martyr. Peter died as a martyr. Almost all of the apostles died as martyrs. Thousands upon thousands and thousands of people have died as martyrs of Jesus Christ. And if God one day would give you and I the great privilege to die as a martyr for Christ, the very second that we are in heaven, when we have died and we look back, we will praise God that he would count us worthy to be killed for the cause of Jesus Christ. No, he does not rescue us in the nick of time all the time because it is not his will to do. He did not rescue Jesus from the cross. Jesus came to die on that cross. He could have called 10,000 of angels to come, but he was not going to do it because he came to die on that cross. So here's what I'm saying. God has a will. He's got a plan. He's, he, he intends for something to happen in our life, and He will see that go through, and sometimes it means we're martyred. Sometimes it means we go through hard times and difficult times. Other times it means He rescues us in a supernatural way. I've told you this story before, but I love the story. It's about a guy, a missionary named John Patton, and John Patton was a missionary to the New Hebrides uh, Islands, and the New Hebrides Islands is located right off of the coast of Scotland, and at that time, years and years ago, no one had gone to the New Hebrides, and so it was a brand new area for the gospel of Christ. And there were people that lived there, and they were not happy that these Christians had come, and, and uh, so they had gathered the king was a part of it, or the chief or whoever was a part of that, and they had gathered around John Patton's and his wife's house to burn it down and to kill them. They could see the torches, and there was no rescue for them outside of God. And they got on their knees and said, oh, God, would you please help us? God, would you please rescue us? And they prayed literally all night long. And the next day when the sun came up, they looked, and there was no one there. Over the course of the year, God began to be at work in that chief's heart. And, and this, the opportunity, God presented the opportunity for this missionary to share the gospel with that chief, and that chief accepted Jesus Christ as Savior. And after he had accepted the Lord and he'd been baptized, John Patton asked him, a year ago, you were right outside of my house. We could see the torches, and you guys had come and surrounded my house to kill us, and we knew that you'd come to kill us and burn down our house. So why didn't you do it? Why did you leave? And the chief said, well, what do you mean, why did we? 
you had all those soldiers around your house. We, we, there was nothing we could do. And he said, well, there was no soldiers around our house. It was just my wife and me. And he said, there were hundreds of soldiers around your house, all in glowing, gleaming clothing. And we already knew that we had no chance against them. And we would all die if we tried. So we left. Now, how do you explain that? What I am saying to you is there is a God in heaven and He loves us. There is a God in heaven and He performs miracles and He does heal and He, he does rescue. He has a will for us. And part of that will sometimes is to send an angel to our rescue. Another thing the Bible teaches is that angels are sometimes recognized as angels but can take on a human appearance. And if this story about uh, Sam Cathy is true, that's exactly what that angel did. Hebrews 13.2 says, Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. Be nice. To everybody. Be nice to everybody. The next is angels can appear as a male, which is, happens mo- in most biblical references, but they can also appear as a female, as was the case of Second or uh, of Zechariah, chapter five, verse nine. I'm trying to add a new Bible, a, a new book to the Bible. Second Zechariah. No, it's just the first Zechariah, chapter five, verse nine. What's interesting to me is that all the angels we ever see were coming close to Christmas, and there are going to be female angels everywhere. All the angels are all females, except in the Bible, they're all males except, except one that I could find. So why is it? Well, probably because females are prettier than males, and so you could sell more if they're females. I don't know any other reason. They don't have, worse than anybody got male angels. But that's, where the, that's who they are in the Bible, male. And then the ninth one is this, God gave to angels greater authority than he gave human beings, except the Scripture says that when we come to know Christ to save you, he raises us up in authority over angels for those who know Christ as Savior. There is a tenth one that I wanted to give to you, but I, I didn't, so you need to write it down. And it's this, never pray to angels. Never pray to angels, never worship angels, never. The last thing you should ever do is pray to anyone other than God. We pray to God, no one else. And we worship no one else but God. Every time an angel was being worshipped in the Bible, they always stopped and said, do not worship me. You're not to worship me, only, you're only to worship God. And then when Jesus is being worshipped, he does not stop it. Why? Because he is God who took on flesh and came to the earth. Pray to God. These angels just do what God tells them. Pray to God and worship only God. Now, how are angels organized? Well, listen to what he says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. He is talking about the organization of the bad guys. Well, the good guys are organized too, and the Bible does not give us 
that organization, it just gives us some levels. For instance, the Bible speaks of the highest angelic classification as being the level of archangel. The level of archangel. And there's only two archangels. There was Michael, the archangel, and Lucifer, the archangel, and Lucifer, Satan, fell, no longer as an archangel. And the best we know, there's still just one archangel, Michael. And every time you see Michael pop up anywhere in the Bible, he is right there with God's chosen ones, every time. And this is why the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. When our resurrection happens, when our resurrection happens, the archangel Michael will be there in the middle of it because he's always in the big moments of the chosen ones of God. We also know that there are cherubim. We know that Satan, as an archangel, was a cherubim at one time. We don't understand cherubim that much, except that they are the guardians around the throne of God. And seraphim, there's the seraphim, and the seraphim are those angels that worship around the throne of God. And then there are guardian angels that are connected to us in helping us in need. In, for instance, in Matthew 18, verse 10, take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I say to you that in heaven their angels, this is Jesus talking, the little kids, their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. These little kids have angels. they got to have angels. Do you watch little kids? They will go right off a cliff. They will do any. They are just, I'm, there's no telling what a little kid will do. They've got to have angels. They're angels. And notice what he says in Hebrews 1.14. Are, are not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister those who will inherit salvation? We who know Christ as our Savior, who have accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior, also have an angel assigned to us. That's the best I understand the verse. So what are the purpose of angels? The word angel actually means messenger. That's what the word means. They are messengers of God. They minister to to God in worship and service. God uses angels to execute God's judgment and purposes. You see that all through the Bible. My father, my I've never seen an angel, but my dad believed with all of his heart, that he had experienced an angel, which means I would have because it happened in church, in one of the churches that he pastored. There was a church that my father was pastoring, and I was in middle school at the time, and the, they didn't have the great deacons we have. We have the most incredible deacons in this church, but they had three deacons. There were several deacons, but three of those deacons were about as mean as the devil. And they treated all of us, our entire family, horribly. You cannot believe the things that they did to our family. My dad prayed and prayed, and my dad tried his best. And there was no, because if he preached the word, he was going to be in trouble with these three deacons. And so it just was the way it happened. And one Sunday night, one Sunday night, there was a stranger there. Nobody had ever seen him before, never saw him afterwards. And when the invitation came, he went forward, asked my dad if he could say something. My dad did not let people do that. 
because weird people say things in those moments. But he did allow this guy to do it. And he said, this church is in desperate need of revival, and especially the deacons in this church. And I'm calling for the deacons to come forward, get on their knees, and turn their heart back to God. Well, my dad did not know any of that. He had nothing to do with that. He didn't know who this guy was. But he took that as a word from God. He got on his knees, and the deacons came. They got on their knees, and, and there was one deacon that, that my dad put, put his arm around because, come on, we can have a friendship. And that deacon took my dad's arm away from his back and threw it down and just went through the motions, and there was prayer, and then it was done. And none of these three deacons changed, and within one year, all three of them were dead. Yes, and my dad, to the day he died, said he, know, he believes that because there was only one way to get out of that auditorium, and it was through the front door, and my dad stood at the front door, and he, the guy never came. No one, he, who, who saw him? Did anybody see him leave? Nobody saw that guy again. So I'm just here to tell you, treat me good because... No, I'm just teasing you. I'm just kidding. But I'm not kidding. You better treat me. Angels are ministering spirits to believers. In Scripture, they guide, they, pro- they provide needs, they protect, they deliver, they encourage, they bring answers to our prayers. And they are ever-present even when our, we die. Listen to what Jesus said in Luke 16, 22. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. I want to tell you, that very moment that you and I die, the very moment that our spirit leaves our body, they're going to be the most beautiful, big smiles on their face angels. Come on, it's time to go home. There's some people I want you to meet. And he's going to end, they're going to enter, they're going to take us right into the presence of Jesus Christ and all those people that we know and love that are in heaven. We have angels. I've never seen, other than that guy, and I don't even remember what he looked like in that church way back when I was in middle school, I've never seen any other angels, but there have been some times in which I thought in my car there had to be an angel or I wouldn't have gotten through that one. And I will tell you, and I did, I did mention this to Gary Hill, uh, our administrator before the service uh, last night, and he gave me permission. Every time I get in Gary Hill's truck, Gary it moves on, man, in his truck. He is a go-get-em guy, and in his truck, he is a go-get-em person. And in his truck, I'm telling you, there's a legion of angels. There is a legion, and they're all busy the whole time. I've said to him, you know, if I, I, I'm in your truck, and here we go somewhere. If I'm not prayed up, I'm very prayed up by the time I get anywhere. God loves us. And one of the provisions is He's given us, even angels, to take care of us. For those who know Jesus as their Savior, do you know Christ as your Savior? How in the world could you not? How, how, why would you re- reject Him? Here is the God of the universe who loves you and cares for you and sent His Son to die on the cross to pay the price for your sin and rose again and offers to you heaven for crying out loud where you will never grow old and never die or you will never have fat crams in heaven and it is yours. It is a gift that He offers to you. And He even provides you His protection. 
and His love throughout your life, why would you reject Him? If you do not know Christ as Savior, give your heart to Him today. Right through the center doors and across the short for you, there's a room called Next Step Center. And our ministers are there and you could come to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Give your heart to Him today. Join this church and those who know Christ as Savior, turn your heart by faith to Him and get your heart right with Him if your heart is not right. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for the truth of your word about these creatures called angels. And we thank you for your protection in our life. Now, Father, move in hearts to receive Jesus as Savior, to join this church, to return their hearts back to you. Move in hearts to do that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.